All right. Good morning, everybody. Oh, I'm so, so glad to be back this morning. Um, I know last week, um, if you didn't join us last week, I was, I, I, I tapped out last week. It was, it was not a good morning in the household. I've had illnesses in our house do the domino effect. You know, one kid has it, then the next kid has it, and then I get it, then my wife gets it, you know, any order of that thing. I've never in my life experienced, oh, one kid is sick. The next day, everybody is sick. It was, it was bizarre, but it is so good to be back. Um, a huge shout out to Pastor Chris for, for stepping in um, Sunday morning in the moment. And I watched online until he called me out for watching online. Like, I, I was watching, and I remember he said, no, Pastor Dustin, if you're watching, I hope you're not. And I was like, oh, I guess not now. You know, <laughs> then I watched back um, later, but it was um, so blessed to have him as a part of our church, as my friend to come in in that moment and do it. And I know that if you have kids, you know that there's, there's almost no worse feeling in the world than feeling like a helpless parent. When um, my, my daughter, Aurora, when, when she was, all the stomach stuff was happening, and she was just in the restroom crying. And I felt like I wanted to cry because I was experiencing the same thing. But hearing her cry and knowing I couldn't take that away from her, it's, it's just one of the most horrible feelings. And so, so sitting there on Sunday, just, just feeling sick and horrible, um, not just for being at home, but, but actually feeling sick. It was, it was just not a fun morning for all of us. But I texted Chris a little after 6 a.m. So a little context on the story. Stephanie was visiting some of uh, our family in California, and she had just flown down, I believe it was Saturday morning. And so she's Saturday morning, she's gone. Avery was the first one to come down with the illness. And so I was like, all right, it's okay. If I have to leave the kids home for church on Sunday, we'll, we'll, we'll make it happen, maybe we'll be all right. And then Sunday morning, 2 a.m., Aurora started. And then, um, so and then I'm up all night with both kids. And then, so I, I texted Chris at 6. I was like, all right, Chris, pray for me. Stephanie's not home. Both kids are down and out. This is, this is going to be rough. And he actually gave me some advice. And he was like, hey, um, first thing, just, just tell, tell the team you'll be there to preach on Sunday. Like this morning, you'll get there. You'll speak. You'll get, you'll get home. You've got to be with the kids. Like, all right, got this. And then he said, I can even come watch the kids if you want. I'll come. I'll, I'll stay at your house with the kids while you go do your church thing. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Thank you. 15 minutes later, it got me. And so then it was, I did what I never thought I'd do. It was just like, who's going to speak this morning? That's like a pastor's worst nightmare, Sunday morning, not being able to do your job. It's, it's horrible. And there's actually a number of things that, that happened to a pastor. And so I thought I'd share with you, this is not the whole point of the message, but a few things that pastors freak out about. Some of the things we lose sleep about, are, and we have nightmares about these things. Number one, this is, this is bad. I get to church on Sunday and nobody's there. That, that, is, that is nightmare status. And it actually, I remember the very first time I actually had that dream. I was still working at Creekside in California. I remember waking up that morning telling my wife, I was like, I had a dream that the next time Pastor Terry asked me to speak, nobody was at church. Sure enough... The first Sunday I speak is the Sunday that COVID shut churches down, and we were speaking to an empty room online. It's like, it happened. It actually happened. Nobody's in church. The second thing uh, pastors have nightmares about, you get the bank statement, and it says zero. You, the bank statement says zero. You don't know how you're going to pay your bills. You don't know how you're going to reach the community. Just all the things that you know you're using resources for, you don't know what to do. We have nightmares about this. Number three, my message stinks. Nobody likes what I said. I, I come back the next week and church is smaller because they're like, you know, I just didn't like what you said, so we're not coming back. We, we think about this. And the fourth, what if I get sick and I can't show up Sunday morning? We think about it. I'm lucky to say 
that the first three have never happened. Well, I, I think number three has never happened. That no one's ever told me my message has stunk. But, but number four actually happened. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was texting with my board that morning, and full vulnerability, I felt guilty. I was ashamed. I was, I was sad. I was like, this is, this is my job. This is what I'm supposed to do, and I can't do my job. I felt so guilty laying there, and um, I, I love my team. You guys have an incredible board that serves this church. Um, they, they encouraged me. They reached out to me. Um, they, they, they helped bring me supplies when I couldn't go to the, the store and get stuff because I couldn't be without the restroom for more than 10 minutes. They were there, and they, they took care of me. So you guys have an incredible board that serves and loves this place, and you have an incredible group of pastors, especially Pastor Chris as well, that comes in and serves here. So my my hat's off, and I just, I feel loved in this place. And not just, not just the board, there were so many people in this church that reached out to me and my family this last weekend. You know, how, how can we help you? How can we bring you things? Some people did some ding-dong ditch. We left some, some Gatorade and 7-Up and chicken broth on your front porch, so we, we felt so loved, and I'm so blessed to be here with you guys today. Thank you so much, and I'm glad that it's over. And if you've gone through the stomach bug, you'll get through it. It will be over. And if you haven't got it yet, I pray you don't. It, it is not fun. We are counting down the days to Easter. If you have your Bibles, turn them. Uh, I'm going to have you dog ear a few things. John chapter 3, John 13, and Matthew 21. So John 3, John 13, and Matthew 21. Now, we're counting down the days to Easter. Um, I, I love Easter. I love all the things that come with Easter, the, the egg hunts and the, the everyone, you know, the, Easter seems to be the Sunday where everyone wears their Easter best and there's new dresses and, and new suits and new clothes and there, there's so much that goes into the excitement of celebrating Easter Sunday. And it's that time of the year where we come specifically together, right? We say, this is the Sunday where we are going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And what's funny is when we say that, we go, don't, don't we do that every Sunday? Like, isn't that kind of a point of what, what we do, right? We come and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It's like, yes, yes, we do. But there's something about Easter Sunday that takes it to that whole new level. In, in, in church lingo, we call it, this is our Super Bowl Sunday. This, this is the day. Everything builds up to this moment. If this didn't happen in Scripture, nothing else matters, but this happened. And this is the day that we celebrate it. So what I thought is, for the next few weeks leading up into Easter, we're going to look more intently at what's called in Scripture as the passion narrative. Scripture says this is, the, this is where you see God's passion at work, and it leads to Resurrection Sunday. So if you uh, turn your Bibles to those uh, chapters, I'm going to pray for us this morning, and we're going to uh, dive into a little bit more of uh, the passion of Jesus this morning. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you, uh, thank you for meeting us in this place. Thank you for loving us in the way that only you can love us. I pray that as we, uh, as we dive into your word today, God, you, you reveal more of your heart to us. God, uh, you reveal more of ourselves to you. And God, that, that you speak to us in a way that maybe we haven't been spoken to before. You touch us in a way that maybe we haven't been touched before. And it's all for your glory to bring us closer to you. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen. <clears throat> now, if you've grown up in the church, um, you know, you're here today or you're joining us online. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard the story of Jesus. When we talk about what happens on Easter Sunday, this is not a new story. This is people that don't go to church know the story of Jesus. Even if they don't believe it, they know the narrative. Yes, we believe in this, in God coming to earth. We believe that he died and rose again. Even people that aren't Christians know the story. But maybe some of you uh, today are here and you haven't heard it in a while. Maybe you're new and visiting and you don't know the story. Either way, no matter where you are, it's extremely important. And this is a very powerful story indeed. Because we believe, as Christ followers, that this is not just a story. This is reality. 
And we believe that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins in a way that only he could pay. This is something only he could do. And, and when he, this happened, there were those standing around the cross when they nailed him there. They said, why is he up on that cross? What's keeping him up on that cross? The nails in his hands, the nails in his feet. He was literally nailed and hanging to a cross. But I want to talk to you today about, we're going to see, it's not the nails that kept him on that cross. It is so much more than the nails is why he stayed up there. There was a passion and a love for humanity for us that kept him on that cross when he, the nails in, in the eyes of God, it's a second thought, right? Could have easily said, I'm going to get off, and the nails are gone. The things he had done, it would have been so easy to say, the nails are now disappeared, I'm fine, I'm getting off. But it wasn't the nails that kept him on that cross for us. He had a passion for us instead. Sim- simply put, Jesus loved people, right? Jesus loved people. He loved us. And his instruction to, to the early disciples was to mimic that love, was to show that love everywhere they went. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And as he's giving this instruction, it wasn't, that wasn't just parting words. That was him saying do these things as he was doing it. So people were watching him love others. He was saying love others. He was showing them how he loved them. And he was, the whole time he's saying, now go do this to people. And it's kind of like when you have kids, you know, you, you tell kids to do things, but you also want to show kids by example. You know, kid, kids are sponges. And I think sometimes we don't give them enough credit. You know, the two and three-year-olds, they pick up on what we're saying. They, they see what we're doing. They'll, they'll start to act the way we act. And so Jesus is not just saying these. He's doing these to all these people in hopes that his disciples will then start to do this to other people. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about this and learn how can we do the same. Just like early disciples, uh, learn through Jesus. Learn through the word, how do we love others? What was his motivation? What was, what was his mission? What kept him engaged during the difficult times in this mission? And then the ultimate question, Why? Why did he trade his life for ours? I think sometimes we can, uh, we can bypass that very important question. Yes, we know he did it. Why would someone do this? Would we do this? What made it so amazing? That, what makes us so special that he said, I will die for you? So open your Bibles, John 3.16. Popular verse. Some of you guys don't even need to open your Bibles to know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel in a nutshell, right? This is it. This is the good news. Today, I want to focus on the beginning of this verse. There there are two crucial statements made by Jesus in the opening segment of this verse that have uh, strong implications for all of us. It says this, the first part, God so loved the world. Right there, just very, very simple line, God so loved the world. Now, if you're to ask, any Christian how to describe God. Say, what would you say to describe God? Most of them would say something about his power, his might, and a common theme you'd see would be his love. He loves me, he loves us, he loved the world. That's, that's a very common attribute we see of God. Scripture talks about God being love. 1 John 4, 8 says this, it says, because God is love. The, the embodiment of love, the physical embodiment of love, the spiritual manifestation of love. God is love. His very being is love. <clears throat> it's a powerful statement, right? To say that someone is something, something that, that people over the centuries have written songs about. People do crazy things in the name of love, crazy acts. I mean, I think as guys, sometimes we can look back at how foolish we made ourselves trying to convince our girlfriends or wives that we loved them. Maybe plans that totally fell apart and made you look like a doofus, but, but your wife looks at you and goes, that's because he loves me. I love that doofus, right? 
People do amazing things in the name of love, and we learn that God is love. John, in his first epistle, says that God manifests his love for us by giving us his son, the only suitable sacrifice for humanity, the only thing that could cover the cost of our sin. So look at John 3.16 again. It says that God so loved the world. Now, if you go to the Greek translation, it doesn't just say world. The, the translation, the word it uses is cosmos. Cosmos means this. It is the inhabitants of the earth, men, the human family, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated. That, that's a pretty awesome word when you break that down. When God loves the world, he loves all of that, all the inhabitants, men from the human family, the ungodly multitude. And that's, that's kind of a gut punch. They're like the ungodly multitude. You know what? He loves them too. He loves absolutely everybody. So in essence, it's saying this. God loved the world. God loved those who loved him, and he loved those who did not love him. He also loved those who despised him. Have you ever tried to love someone who despises you? Have you, have you ever tried? You, you know someone does not like you. It's one thing to say, you know, like we, we talk sometimes like, hey, you gotta love even the people you don't like. And that, that's hard in itself, right? But I would argue that it's harder to love someone who actively despises you. Someone who, not just you don't like, but they don't like you, they speak against you. They make it their life mission to bring you down. They reject you. They, they make it just every point they can to hurt you, to say things, to turn people against you. Try loving that person. That is a tall order. Everything in, inside, you know, even when it says pray for your enemies, those are the people you're like, God, smite them. Just take them out. Give them what they deserve. Taking out what you know you deserve. But give them what they deserve, right? Try loving those people. It's so much different than loving people that maybe you don't like. It's harder than loving people you don't like. Try loving someone who is actively against you. But since God is love, and he sent his son to die for the cosmos, that's the example of love we see. That's the example of love that God gives us. He says, even the ones who despise me, I love them too. And if we're to show people love of God, that means we have to love these people too. It's hard. It's something we, I, I feel like I know I can't do it on my own, but through God's grace, I'm able to work on it. I'm able to try. It's a powerful example he gives us. Now, now think about this for a minute. I, I've heard it said time and time again, if God knew that man was going to sin, if God knew people were going to hate him, if God knew people would reject, rebel, and speak out against, why make them in the first place? Why would he do it? Why, why would this loving God who wants to love everyone, who wants everyone to come to him, but knows some people won't, why would he make them? If he knew we were gonna sin, why would he do it anyways? And that's a good question. That, that's a really, really good question. And I think God created man despite the foreknowledge that he knew some people would reject him, despite the knowledge that some people would turn against and rebel. He wanted because, he did this because he wanted to display his character of love. He wanted to show love. If, if we wouldn't have messed up, and this is not a justification for it, but if we would not have messed up, then there would not have been a cause for Jesus to come. And if there was not a cause for Jesus to come, we would not to this day have the ultimate example of perfect love. Jesus, God, he knew we would mess up. He did it anyway so he could show us how much he loves us, that, that he would have this necessary divine sacrifice to bring us to him. Would you know how much God truly loved you if he didn't send his son for you? That's an ultimate example. 
Paul says this. He says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not after we got it right, not because we were perfect and he did it anyways, while we were still sinners, while we were still messing up, God says, I'm gonna show you this perfect love. He gave us his best while we were at our worst. And the word for love here in John 3, 16, this is the Greek word agape. There's four different words used for love in the Greek language. And this is the one, when the the definition for agape love, it says this is willful, pure, all-encompassing, and sacrificial. Sound familiar? It's a sacrificial love, right? This is the type of love that God has for his people. The one that is willful, it's pure. It's a sacrificing love. It is all-encompassing no matter what. It is there. And this is the kind of love God wants us to pass through to other people because of what his son Jesus did for us. John 13, 34, he says this. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, I, I love how the Holy Spirit works in amazing ways. I did not tell Pastor Chris I was going to be talking about love this series. I did not tell him anything about it, but he delivered a phenomenal message about loving the people right in front of you. And I thought, what a great precursor into talking about if we're going to love people in front of us, coming into this now, talking about how God loves us in, in response and how we get to do that too. Um, it was just, it's one of those divine moments where, where God got to show me, even though, Dustin, you're down and out and sick, I'm still in control. I'm still working here, and I still love this place, and my love is going to shine through. We're commanded by Jesus, right? We are commanded to love one another in the same manner that he loved us. And now, I, I love this. this. This is a commandment, right? Jesus says, I command you, love one another. This is not the great suggestion. This is not the great when you're convenienced enough. You know what? I, I command you to love those just in your immediate circle who love you back and who serve you and you have fun with. And, and you know, I love those people. This, this isn't the great convenience. This is a command. Love one another, not a suggestion. He doesn't say, if you have time, love this person. If this person wrongs you, forget about them. No, he says, love these people love each other the way I have loved you. This is a command straight from the big man himself. Love one another the way he loves us. And this leads us into a conversation right about sacrifice. Because if we're to love the way he loved us, his love is that pure sacrificial love. So then the question is, what have we sacrificed, not just in the name of love, but what have we sacrificed of ourselves to show people that we love? to show people that we care, that this isn't, just, this isn't just something that we think is good on a Sunday morning to hear about, but this is actually something that's a conviction in our lives, to know that we're supposed to go and love people the way Jesus loves us. Are you willing to sacrifice your schedule for someone who needs to chat with you? Are you willing to give something up? Are you willing to sacrifice your own desires to say, these are my desires, these are God's desires, I've got to put mine aside to make sure his are first and foremost in my life? And honestly, the, the list of sacrificial love opportunities can be endless, right? Things, what, what can we give up of ourselves to show God that we love him, to show those around us that we love them, to show people he's put in our atmosphere that it's not about us, it's about us loving them. John 3.16 tells us something else important, though. He says, God so loved, and we're supposed to do this as well, but it says, it recognized that God loves the world. And how does God love the world, this verse says? He so loved the world that he did what? He sent his son. So we see what he did. He loves the world and then the action for it. He sent his son. God literally gave us. He gave us the life of his son to pay for our sins. That's a huge gift. 
That is the biggest gift. That, that, that is a gift you cannot repay. You know, if someone does something for you and, and you say, I'll pay you back somehow, this is literally the thing you cannot pay back. We did not deserve it. We did not do anything to earn it. We can't earn it, and we cannot pay it back. Why would God give us such a gift? Why would he give us the most valuable thing we could ever possibly imagine? I know that for the people that I love the absolute most, I'm not giving you my kid for your, your life. I'm not doing it. I, I love my kid a little more than you. It's Sorry, it happens, all right? But I love my kid. I'm not going to sacrifice my kid. I would never do it. Well, never. There's some days. But, you know, I, just, I love my kids. To, to think that, that God would say willingly, here's my son for you to show you how much I love you. Wow. And I didn't really understand that until I had my own kids. That's when it became really real for me, the, the magnitude of what Jesus did for me. <clears throat> he gave us his son. And that's a result of his divine love. The word here in Greek for this love is didomi. Didomi can be translated to give oneself to reach out to pay wages or reward. To pay wages or reward. God gave of, him, of himself. He gave his son to pay the wages of our sin. The wages of our sin so that we, we can now reap the reward of eternal life. Talk about a big gift. A huge, irrepayable gift. God has been so good to us. So good. And, and maybe sometimes you look around in, in this season of Easter thinking, man, what, do, do, I even, do I even have a right to be joyful? Do I even have a right to be cheerful? What, what do people have a right to be cheerful about when there's so much going on in the world? Well, you know what? In the midst of things we go through, in the midst of the hard trials we have, where it's loving someone or someone not loving us, we can have this joy. We can have this cheer because we know that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that can bring joy in the midst of any circumstance. Even when it's hard to see, we can always come back to that moment. These material possessions we have someday, they'll fade away, but the steadfast love of Jesus will be with you for eternity. And you can always find joy in that no matter what, what the world comes through. The steadfast love of God never fails. That is the agape love. That's the all-encompassing love that we're now supposed to show to other people even when it's hard. But some of you are still wondering, like, what, what, what are these wonderful gifts that God has given us out of his love? Well, let me show you, I'm going to tell you five things. These are just, a, this is a small list of the things God has given us through the gift of Jesus. Because he loved us, he's given us these things. One, he's given us his word. He, he's, he's given us his word. We get to read this book consistently. We get to meditate on it. We get to let it dwell on us. And we get to open ourselves up to God and it's his words. Something I think that we don't always uh, understand the gravity of is when we're reading the Bible, we're not just reading a book. This is the living word of God. And he gave it to us. What a gift that we get to read the very words of Jesus whenever we want. That's incredible. He's given us his spirit. When Jesus went into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you a helper. And he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us, to manifest itself in us. The Holy Spirit reminds us of things, of, of the ways of God. It's what dwells in our hearts. It's what allows us to, to speak life and love to other people because it speaks in and through us. An incredible gift that God did not just leave us here on earth. He is with us each and every day. It reminds us of his character. The Holy Spirit is with us every day. He's given us freedom. Man, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have freedom to praise, freedom to, to worship. We are free from the bondage and the weight of sin. That's an incredible gift. 
he's given us life eternal. How wonderful is that? That, that this time here on, that we have here on earth, this is the shortest time we'll spend anywhere because we have eternity with God. That is a gift to us. Do we deserve it? No. No, not at all. But it's a gift. And we get to be with him with it. He has made us alive. He has made us alive in a, in a dead world, in a place where there's so much death and destruction, we get to be beacons of light. We get to live for him and show his love to a dead place. We are alive in Jesus. And you know what the basis for all this giving is? Why does somebody give this? Why would somebody do all this? Who would give all of this to everybody? And it all comes down to one strong, short word. Love. Because he loved us, he gave us all these things. A deep, passionate, agape love. God, his love shows that he is a giver. And his love causes us to give. How many of you guys have ever given something to someone that you love? Now, I remember when, when I was in college, Stephanie's birthday was coming up, and I was not sure what to get her. Um, I, I saw her, her birthday list. I had to put my not-so-romantic brain to the test, you know, just figuring out, what am I supposed to do? I'm a broke college student. Um, maybe I can get her something with her birthstone in it, maybe an earring or a bracelet or a necklace or something. I was like, this could be really fun. So I looked up birthstones, April, diamonds, nope. I'm like, out. That is out. I'm college, right? I work at a pizza parlor. It's not happening. So, so then I was like, all right, let me, let me get your, your birthday list. Mark Jacobs accessories, Jimmy Choo shoes. I'm like, nope, that's not happening either. Okay, what can I do? So, so there I am, no idea what to do. Like I said, I worked at Round Table Pizza. I was on financial aid. And so I was like, okay, so I invented what I called the Dusty Bucks. I used my Microsoft Paint and Word knowledge to create little gift vouchers with my picture of a smiley face on them, and they were good for different random things. So I, I, I gave them to her, and it was, uh, it, one, one was, they were good for various things, like a date night at Chipotle, back when Chipotle was five bucks for a burrito, right? Date night at Chipotle, a movie night of your choice, a bag of your favorite candy. They were all redeemable for fun little things. And one is like, you know, uh, and the, the, the big one was like a dinner at an executive members-only restaurant, Costco. Yeah, right? <laughs> But we, we had a lot of fun, but they could be redeemed throughout the year. No expiration date. And, and when, when she redeemed one, I would write a little void on it and everything. And what's funny is uh, when, when we moved here to Washington, I found the Dusty Bucks. We, we still have them, and now, now they're in a, in a box in our garage, but there's the, the Dusty Bucks. But, but I made those for her because I loved her. I wanted to do something fun and special, and I was absolutely broke, yeah. But I did what I could, but I did it because it came from my heart. I wanted to show this, this woman that, that I knew I wanted to marry one day how much I loved her. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he shared and told so many stories about how much God loves us. And he did examples of different miracles for people, healing people, raising the dead, amazing, incredible things. And what was it fueled by? It was fueled by his love for us. More than anything, he wanted to show people, God loves you so much, you are not alone. You don't have to suffer through this. I can be with you. I will be with you. I will take this off of you, and then I will die for you. It was fueled by love. He also told many stories to, to help people understand the points he's trying to make. And a lot of these are called parables. You know, stories, they, they didn't really happen, but he would tell the story to prove a point of, what, of the message he was trying to get across. Matthew 21 has a parable about the why. Why would God the Father love people so much that he sent Jesus to earth? So if you want to follow along, 
You can read in your Bibles or follow on the screens. But Matthew 21, starting in verse 33, we have this parable. It says this. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, you have never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has, overcome, has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Throughout human history, God has been sending people to deliver this message of love, this, this message of salvation to, and restoration to the people. And the, the landowner in this parable, this is God. The vineyard is his people. The landowners are the servants and the prophets, but, but who are the farmers? Who are the farmers in this story? The farmers are off, the, the ones that often think they have it all together. The ones who they think they're, they're without sin. Um, how, and how often do we slip into that mindset? How often do we slip into the, the you know, I know God loves me, but I'm, I'm right now, I'm perfect. Things are good. I'm, I'm without sin. Today, I'm without sin. I, I've got this dialed down. Or, or maybe you don't say I'm without sin, but maybe you say, you know what? In the grand scheme of sin, mine is not as bad as that guy's. So, so I've, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm God, if you're going to compare these things, he's doing much worse than I am, so I, I should be all right. The Bible says, though, that we are all guilty of falling short. All sin puts us on that same playing field where we fall short. And God has this standard for humanity, and sin is not a part of that standard. Sin is sin. And we've got to make sure that we're understanding that our sin is not, is not less sin than someone else's. Our sin is our sin. And God died to remove that sin. That's why he sent Jesus. All sin separates from God, and there's only one way to get through that, and that's through the blood of Jesus. That's why God sent it. He said, I love you so much. Even the ones who don't know me and don't know I love them, I'm sending my son for them too. Their sin will be covered. It will be washed away by my son's blood. He did that to show us how much he loved us. Jesus is the gift that, that we didn't know. Humanity did not know that it needed, but it's one that we cannot live without. We cannot live without it. And this is what this means for us. We know now that God does indeed love us. God loves us so much, regardless of where we are, what, what we've done, where we've been. We know that God loves us. We also know that he displayed this love, right, by sending his son for us. So what does it mean for us? I think if we want to summarize it up, and this is not my words, this is, this is coming from scripture. If we want to summarize, what does this mean? How do, we, how do we reciprocate this? Love him back, love others the way that he loves us. If you want to know what is your response, what are you supposed to do with this message of love God gives us? Love him back. Love him back and love others the same way that he loves you. It's not my commentary. This is, this is God's word. This is scripture. If you have an issue with, with that message, take it up with the big man. He wrote this, John 13, 34. He says, he calls this a new commandment. However, like many things we're told to do, this takes commitment 
It takes effort. It takes devotion. I remember uh, when I was working at, at Roundtable, back when I was, you know, the, the Dusty Bucks days. Um, I was working at Roundtable, and I was getting close to graduating, and there, there was a coworker that I thought I got along with. He was a little interesting at times. We were both managers at Roundtable together. I was like two weeks away from graduating, maybe a little further, but it was, it was getting close. And the store manager calls me into the back office. He says, hey, I need to, need to talk to you about something. And we had a fun relationship. We're always making fun of each other. I, I have a gift of sarcasm. You know, it's, it's, it's fun. So he takes me to the back, and he goes, hey, I got to tell you something. Um, you've been formally accused of stealing from the store. First, I thought he was joking. I was like, great, Scott. Yeah, you know me, master criminal. And, um, and he goes, I'm serious. Like, there's been a formal, he showed me the, the complaint. Dustin has been stealing from the safe. Wow. Myself and only one other manager had the combination to the safe. And he was accusing me of stealing from the safe. Now, I was blessed and lucky enough to know that the store manager had known me for three and a half years. We had become friends, and he knew that it was a false accusation. He said he didn't give it a second thought. He had to tell me because it was a formal part of the process of you were accused, I need to ask you about it. But he did not believe it for one minute. But for a minute there, I knew who the accuser was. I can go close to say I was on the verge of saying I hated that man for what he tried to do to me in my last, my last chunk of time in college. I was like, I'm about to graduate. Am I going to get the police called on me now? Like, Is there going to be some form of investigation because I stole money from a roundtable pizza safe? We didn't even make that much money. We're a college campus selling personal pizzas all day. But the accusation was there. I remember in that moment, the, the next shift where I saw this manager, feelings were, were festering up. Like, what am I going to say to this guy's face? What am I going to say? And I remember feeling convicted in that moment where God says, hey, I love him too. And so ultimately, I said nothing. That probably drove him nuts, actually. I just said, good morning, how you doing, good? And we did our shift as normal. He never brought it up to me. I never said anything to him. Everything was fine, graduated just fine, nothing ever happened. But I remember in that moment, I had a choice. Am I going to just come down on this guy for how dare you accuse me of such a horrible thing? How dare you try to derail? I don't know what I'd ever said or done to get on a bad nerve with him. Or I had a choice to let it go and just be myself and show love. I tell you, the fact that nothing ever came of it, the fact that I'm able to look back at it now and go, it was just a small blip, nothing happened, is because the love of God was pouring through that situation. God's love covered it. The truth came out. The store manager knew I didn't do anything, and I was able to show this man, who for whatever reason didn't like me, and I don't know why anyone wouldn't like me, I was able to show him just, just love, just be myself, be friendly. God worked in that situation. It can be easy to love friends and family. It's hard to love the person that wronged you. Hard to love the person that maybe stole from you. Hard to love the person that cheated you, cheated on you. Hard to love these people. But it all comes down to this. How willing are we to show the same amount of grace that's been shown to us? How willing are we to show the same amount of grace to the same amount of grace that we've received? Here's what Jesus says about showing others grace. In, Mark, in Matthew 18, 21, 22, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who has sinned against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven times. This does not mean keep a record, and once you hit 490, you're done forgiving people. But I would say, if you're forgiving someone 490 times, you've got to rethink your relationship a little bit. There's something happening there. You're setting yourself up to be hurt over and over again. But what this does mean is forgive. Forgive. 
forgive. And when you think you've forgiven enough, guess what you need to do? Forgive. God shows us the same thing. He loves us enough to say, no matter how many times you mess up, when you want my forgiveness, you've got it. It doesn't make sense. It, it sounds like a step backwards based on our culture where, where it tells us to simply walk away from people who hurt you or to hurt them back. Do something to get even. Forgiving doesn't make sense. But we're taught to forgive, to move forward the way Jesus forgives us. Jesus taught us there is so much power in forgiveness because forgiveness ultimately is showing someone the love of Jesus. There are many things we learn about the kingdom of heaven that, that may sound upside down and difficult or, or to some in this room would even say that is impossible. But you know what? I would say it sounds impossible to love the entire world. It sounds impossible to send your son to die for people who despise you. But man, our impossible is God's beginning. That's where God gets to do amazing things. His impartial love is unconditional love. And as impossible as it may seem for us, that's what we're called to show other people. Unconditional, sacrificial, agape love. And when we start to understand more of that, we then can see this, this passion Jesus showed us on the cross. Nails didn't hold him there. His agape love held him on that cross. I'd like to invite the worship team up and invite you all to stand with me this morning. Loving, uh, loving others is a tough business. It, you, you, can, you can honestly drive yourself crazy thinking about, you mean I have to love this person, I have to love that person. There's people on your list, I know there's, there, there's people I've wrestled with where it's like, I don't want to love this person. But it's not about wanting to, it's about being obedient to the call God gave us to. He commanded us, go love people. Our feelings will change, our wants and needs will change, people's lives will change. But when we love them anyways, that's unconditional love. Don't let our love be a conditional thing. Let it be an unconditional love that is the kind of love that God has reached out for his creation. God loves us even when it's unreciprocated. He loves you even when you're nasty, rude, and mean. He loves you when you're not getting, he loves even when he's not getting anything out of the relationship, he still loves. Let's mimic that. Let, let's be ambassadors of God. Let's be ambassadors of his love so that people can see his son Jesus was not just a man, was not just, was not just a prophet who died for people that he loved. This was the living son of God, God in the flesh loving us, loving them even if they don't know it yet. Over the next few weeks, practice sharing that love with people. Invite them to Easter service. If you look at that postcard on, or the, the picture on your chairs, you'll notice that, you know, it says, passion, it wasn't the nails. Join us for our Easter service. Easter service is here, April 9th, 10 o'clock. Same time, same place. So this, what this is, this is not for you because I hope you don't forget what time service is on Easter Sunday when it's the same time, same place as it is every week. This is for you to give somebody else. Take these cards home, pray over it. Say, God, who gets this? Who do I get to invite this to? If you want more, I have more out in the foyer. Invite somebody to experience the love that only Jesus can give and then do our best to reciprocate that love to people that we come across with. Amen? Ask yourselves, who needs your forgiveness this week? Who needs your sacrifice this week? Who needs to feel the love of Jesus this week? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your agape love. God, your love that, that doesn't make sense, your, your love that, that is so unconditional, God, that you love those who despise you. I pray that in our lives that we're able to show that love to people that, that we don't like, people that we would even say, I despise this person. God, I pray we're able to put those aside and show them your love first and foremost. 
God, before they were someone that maybe we despised or we have a hard time with, before that, they're a child of God. They're loved by God. They're loved by you. I pray that we show that, we live it, people experience it, and that because we show it, people are ultimately drawn to relationship and walk with you. So God, we thank you for your love. And we ask that through us, people in this entire community see it and experience it. And we ask this in your name. Amen.